us this morning. Again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. Uh, we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We have many away this morning visiting family, and we're thankful that each has the opportunity to do that. God blesses us richly with family, and it's wonderful to have a spiritual family like this to come together and to worship God. Do you remember promises that you've made to yourself? Maybe you've said when you bought that new car and you looked around at that beautiful new interior and, and you may have said, we're never going to eat in this car. Did, did you ever say that? And you know, there's probably somebody here that's saying, hey, I said it and we never did. But you know, most of us that said that, you know, if you fast forward a, a few months or a few years later, you might see more of an interior like this. Uh, you might see an exterior, maybe not quite that bad, but, but the idea is sometimes we grow real cold on our promises. As we go to this next slide, we see a series of things, and you can multiply this over a thousand times, but all of us probably have, have set out some kind of workout plan, and we were real zealous about it, and we said, we're going to do this all year long, and then February came, and maybe we weren't quite as zealous anymore. We grew cold on our promise. Maybe we've cleaned out a garage or an attic, and we said, I'm never going to let that get in that condition again, but yet maybe a few months or a few years pass and we find that it's in the very same condition. Or maybe we say, I've got to do a better job with thank you notes or correspondence, and maybe we do a better job for just a short while, but then we seem to go back to that same rut. Maybe it's the same way with budgeting. Do you remember when you got your first credit card? I wonder how many of us, when we got our first credit card, said, we're not going to use this for anything but emergencies. That's the only thing that'll ever be used for and my, how times change. Or maybe as David has already mentioned this morning, and it's wonderful to have elders that charge us, that set the pace, that are out in front of us encouraging us to read and study the Bible. And it's easy to get excited about that in January, but the real question is when June and July rolls around, are we still so excited about it? Now, the only reason I mention those things is not to beat us up, but to show us our human nature because if we realize what we wrestle with, we might do a better job conquering the enemy. We wrestle with Satan who doesn't always mind if we get excited about a beginning. What Satan is concerned about is how we finish. You've just had a text, so capably read for you. We're going to come right back to this text, but I would like to ask you to turn to Nehemiah the 10th chapter. As you're turning there, let me remind you that the Bible is not written in chronological order. And even though right now in our daily Bible readings, this week we will end the book of the, the books of the Old Testament, the three minor prophets. But what we sometimes forget, if we're not careful and, and we need those reminders, that is when Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi it was written, that same time period was also the time period that Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther was written. And so it's very interesting to me to see the fire that these people had. Remember, they had been in exile for 70 years. The Babylonian captivity had taken place. They'd been in exile for 70 years. And finally, the king allows them to return back. And the first thing they do is they say, we get to go home. We're going to build back Jerusalem. We're going to build back the temple. We're going to build back the wall. And they're all excited about what they're going to build. But you remember, after just a very short amount of time, the only thing they have is a foundation for a temple laid. And they quit. They have a foundation and they're not working any longer. And you say, how could that happen? Well, obviously, when they started the foundation, 
they didn't have an attitude that said, I'm going to quit. I would suggest and I would guess that if you would have walked up to them as they were laying that foundation and you said, hey, how long is this going to take? They'd probably say, oh, not very long. We're on fire. We're going to finish this thing. We have zealous promises that we're making to God. But something grew cold. I want us to just look here in Nehemiah and scan some verses to see how fired up they were when they returned and they started working on that foundation. We see in Nehemiah the 10th chapter in verse 28, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nathanium, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands. That was a big deal. They separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe all and do all the commandment of the Lord our God and His ordinance and His statutes. Do you hear that bold proclamation that they're making? We understand that our problem has always been that we join with the heathen nations and that gets us off track no longer. We're going to put this foundation in place. We're going to build this temple. We're going to build back this city. We're going to build this wall. And we are going to do God's law, follow the, the law of Moses. We are not going to be pulled aside by our heathen brethren. With that in mind, and we're just scanning some things here. In 30, they said they're not going to intermarry. In 31, they even said if somebody comes up and wants to buy grain from us on the Sabbath, we are not going to do business on the Sabbath. We're going to honor the Sabbath day. In 32 through 34, they talk about the sacrifices that they're going to make. They're going to bring all the sacrifices that God has asked them to bring to the temple. They're even going to bring the wood to the temple so that the burnt offerings will have wood on an altar to burn the burnt offerings. And then in 35 through 37, he starts listing all of the first fruits. They're going to bring God. Think about that word, first fruits. That's a New Testament principle also. Do we give God the first and the best? And they started naming the first fruits of the ground, the first fruits of their children, the first fruits of cattle, the first fruits of dough and of offering and of fruit. All of these first fruits, God is going to get the best that they have to offer. The first and the best. And now I'd like for you to notice verse 39, and we're reading 39, especially for the last phrase. Look at 39. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain and the new wine, the oil, the storm rooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and singers are. Here it is. And we will not neglect the house of our God. We're not going to neglect it. We've done that in the past and we're not going to neglect it. Oh. And then there has to be prophets sent. Like Haggai to say, Hello. Hello, you're, you're starting to neglect it. Zechariah has to come along. I, I want to encourage you not neglect it. Malachi has to come along and say, he, he lived about 100 years after them. His work was about 100 years after them. He had to come along and say, you neglected it and we reminded you and you came back to it and now you're forgetting it again and we just want to remind you again, don't neglect the house of God. The symbolism of the house of God over into the new covenant, of course, is the church. Don't neglect God's work. Don't neglect God's family. 
Don't neglect the very institution that God has given to be such a prosperous blessing in our life. As we think about this, we think about where we've been the last few weeks of looking at the minor prophets. I'd like for you to look at the slide there. Notice how we broke those down over the last few weeks. And you see, we've looked at the prophets that spoke primarily to Israel, or at least they were from Israel and sometimes spoke to other places. We looked and mentioned the fact that there were six that were of Judah. And then we see that the Assyrian captivity ended the northern kingdom. The Babylonian captivity sent a small remnant of people over into Babylon uh, that took away the southern kingdom in the sense of what it was in that day and time. And then finally, when they were allowed to come back and build what we've already mentioned this morning, this is what we're studying now this morning. These three individuals teach us a powerful lesson about God and about the nature of mankind. We have a hard time keeping our heart in the right place. So as we think about Malik, as we think about Haggai this morning, I'd like for you to turn back to that text and I'd like for you to think about what happens when the heart is misplaced. When the heart is misplaced, we, we form a value system, but our value system is very deceptive. In other words, the things that we truly believe are the things that we need to concentrate on. It's the things that we need to hold up and esteem. It's, we're deceived because our value system is completely uh, out of order. And so as we think about Haggai, we think about a man that we believe. We don't know this for certain, but because of some things that say we believe that he probably was the older. Haggai and Zechariah uh, were contemporaries. We believe that he was the older gentleman, probably uh, remembered much of the former days of even before the 70 years of exile. So here, if you will, is the old timer that he'd lived through the decline, he'd lived through the exile, and now he was living to come back and to talk to the people with great wisdom and experience. And then you have Zechariah, that is the younger one. He was probably born in the Babylonian uh, time of the captivity, and now he's able to come back, and he issues a real strong uh, statement of, of look to the brighter days, look to the glory that God places before us, whereas Haggai comes along, and he's a little more stern. He's a little more uh, reprimanding and encouraging them to, to stand up the way they ought to be standing up. As we look at Haggai, the first chapter, look with me again, if you will, to that text in verse 2, 3, and 4. I'd like to remind you a few phrases there. Notice he said, the time, the people says, the time has not come. Now, is it time or is it not time to do the Lord's work? Well, the people here say, you know, we understand. Now, keep in mind, they're looking at a foundation of a temple. It, they worked and now they stopped. And you imagine Haggai saying, what's the problem? Why, why have you stopped? Oh, I'll tell you why we stopped. The time's just not here. Now, notice what the, the result of this is. The Lord speaking through the prophet. We see that in verse 3. And look at verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now that's a question worth asking, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? You didn't like being in exile. You couldn't wait to get back to your home because you said you wanted to build up God's temple again. Now that's interesting. You leave the exile, you come back home, you get started on that foundation, but then you leave the foundation and what do you do? You go back and you put the foundation in your house. You put the nice paneled walls in your house. Oh, I'm comfortable. I have my house. What about the Lord's house? Oh, the time just isn't yet. Hey, that time will come. I wonder if their house would have only been a foundation if they would have thought that it wasn't time to work on their own house. 
You see the mixed priorities here? You see how Haggai, he is not hiding anything from them. He's holding it right out in front of them and say, who's most important in your life? You or God? And it's very clear by the way they view God's house and their house, God is not the most important. What about you? When you look at the way you invest your time, your energy, your money in possessions and in the work of the Lord, would God say that your priority is in the work of the Lord? Or would we be very guilty of this same thing where the Lord would say, I have all of this work in the kingdom that needs to be done and you're telling me you're going to get everything that you want personally and continue working more and more and more and you're going to leave the Lord's work undone? That's why we see in verse 5 and 7 almost the very same words where he says, consider your ways. And the word consider there is interesting. In the Hebrew, it's two words. And, and one way to translate it actually says that, that word consider is to set your heart upon. In other words, Haggai is saying, I want you to look at this from your heart. Look at what you're doing from your heart. Is this really the value system that you want in your heart? As we think about that, notice what the Lord's summary is. And, and to me, this is very powerful. It would be easy for us at this point to think, oh, if they're living in nice paneled houses, they're very wealthy at this time. No, they're working so hard just to get their paneled houses and get their food and get something to drink and get clothing to keep them warm. And it seems like the more they work, the less they have. And you know why? Hey, guys, says God is doing that to you. I want you to notice again in verse 6. God is saying to them, you've sown much, but I've made sure that you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled. You clothe yourself, but you're not warm. You make a wage and you put it in a bag and you carry it along and you get there and you say, where's all my money? And there's holes in the bag. I have to ask myself this morning, do I really believe that God is in control? Do I believe that I can take care of myself or God can take care of me? I need to realize if I believe this morning that I can take care of myself, I'm believing a lie. I'm trusting myself more than I'm trusting God. I can't take care of myself. We've seen what a recession looks like. If God so chose, He could have every one of us with nothing by sundown. That's the powerful God that we serve. Friends, am I going to put all of my trust in me or am I going to put my trust in God? God gives us all that He gives for us to use it in His service. Turn with me, if you will, quickly to Matthew, the sixth chapter. And I only can mention this for time's sake, but I'm doing this in hopes that maybe it'll, it'll spark an interest in, 
in your mind and in your heart, and maybe you'll study through this, but really, you know, the greatest, we say the greatest sermon ever preached is the sermon that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter. In Matthew the 6th chapter, he spends most of that chapter looking at the value system. And we have to ask ourselves, is this my value system? As we look at Matthew 6, 19 and 20, the question is, are we going to place our emphasis on things that can be corrupt, that can be stolen, uh, that moths can eat and, and thieves can steal away? You see, the fact is all of that is temporal. To you, what's the most important? Is your soul most important? Or things that are very temporal? Which one is most important? Is the kingdom of heaven most important? The church, is it most important? Or is your house and your possessions most important? We have to ask ourselves, do I have a value system that truly places the greatest amount of value on things that are eternal, or do I have a value system that places a great amount of value on the things that are temporal? And that's where he reminds us in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. They will always be united. You can't say, I spend most of my time on temporary things, but my heart is really with God. We can't, we can play games with ourselves like that, but it's very dangerous. Friends, if my thoughts, if my constant ambition, if everything in life is for the temporary things, I have to admit today, I have a heart that is for temporary things. That's why we see the plea in 24, no man can serve two masters. We can't serve God and money, so then I have to decide my value system. Which one am I going to serve? And then in 25 through 32, he does a beautiful job of explaining to us Not to worry. Don't worry about where your clothing is coming from. Don't worry about where your shelter is coming from. Don't worry about where your food is coming from. God has taken care of sparrows. He's taken care of lilies out in the field. And He will take care of us. That doesn't mean we don't work. We know that also in the New Covenant we're taught that if we'll not work and provide for our family, we're worse than an infidel or non-believer. It's not we don't work. It's not that we don't plan. It's that these things are not our highest priority. You see, the whole thing that Jesus is teaching here is leading up to a powerful statement in verse 33. Notice that statement. But seek first the kingdom of God. Now what's the kingdom of God? On earth, that's the church. Seek first the church. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things and the things he's talking about are all these things that we make second, third, and fourth priority. Somebody says, I want to make sure I provide for my family. That's great. You know what? God wants to make sure you provide for your family. I want to make sure that I'm wise and I plan carefully. You know what? God wants to make sure that you're wise and you plan carefully. But if we don't put God first, we have this all out of order. So he says, seek first the kingdom. Do you give God the first fruits of your money? you give God the first fruits of your time? Do you give God the greatest priority in your life? Then all of these other things, they're going to be taken care of. Hey guys, a powerful book. It's powerful in that, as all the Bible, it's so timely. It's not outdated in the least little bit. A time where we get so wrapped up in providing for ourselves and putting all of our heart in earthly things if we're not careful. And Haggai comes along to knock on the door of our heart and say, don't misplace your heart. Make sure you place your heart in eternal things. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, that'll be on page 833 if you're studying out of the Bible that's in your pew there. And Zechariah, 
We see a man who talks to a group of individuals that had a hard heart. By the way, Zechariah is the longest and the most difficult of the minor prophets. He begins with six verses urging them to repent. And then up to the sixth chapter, he talks with them in eight visions, which this book has an apocalyptic spin to it because of these visions. This book also says so much about... Uh, the Messiah in a prophetic form. And so it's a very rich and wonderful study. I'd like to drop now, if you will, to the seventh chapter. In the seventh chapter, there, there is in seven and eight, what oftentimes this book is divided into four parts if you're outlining it to study. And this is usually considered the third part. And it's a part where God addresses their questions about fasting. And it really is a powerful study. I can tell you after studying this, I look forward sometime to coming back and, and doing just an entire lesson on just this chapter right here. It is an amazing, amazing study. Notice what they were doing, and we're just going to have to pick out parts of this. Look in the seventh chapter in verse 5. Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, during those 70 years... Did you really fast for me? For me? Now, if you're not reading along, I didn't say that twice for my emphasis. I read it just like God said it. God said, oh, you remember back when you were over in exile those 70 months and, and you started being very conscious of the fact that you wanted to fast. And so did you really fast for me? For me? How many times did God command a faithful Jew to fast each year? As you're mulling that over, you remember after the book of Malachi, we have 400 years of silence and the New Testament opens up. And when the New Testament opens up, you remember what the Pharisee, when he stood out of pride and he prayed and he had a list of things, how good he was, they prayed. And remember, he said, I fast twice a week. Now let's go back to that other question. How many times did God ask a faithful Jew to fast each year? By the time we come to the New Testament, many of the Jews thought to be a faithful Jew, they needed to fast at least twice a week. God commanded one day a year. If you have your Bible open, just glance down to the 8th chapter in verse 19. Look at the 8th chapter in 19. You see these fast months? And when he's saying the month here, he's not talking that they fasted all month. He's simply saying, you had days. See there in verse 19? In the 4th month, in the 5th month, in the 7th month, in the 10th month. Isaiah makes mention of this also. Other prophets also mention this. The Jews had literally created some kind of traditional standard that said, if we fast to God, it doesn't matter how we've been living. If we fast to God, it kind of makes it automatic that He hears our pleas and He'll talk to us. You see, they had come up with their own form of righteousness. And so now, they had evolved this new aspect of their religion. We're going to be people that fast on a regular basis and we're going to create these days that everybody's supposed to fast because we want everybody to have God's ear. Now, there's one side of that that would say, well, that's wonderful. They want everybody to have God's ear. But notice at the very same time they're doing this, let's drop down to verse 8 and see what God says to them. At the very same time this happened, this is in the seventh chapter, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I want 
interject this, just make sure we're all on the same page. They wanted all these fasting days. And God says, I want to tell you what I want. Here's what I want. Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Verse 11. But they refused to heed. Shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Notice this line. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words of the Lord, the host has sent His Holy Spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Skip down to 14. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. God says, let me warn you about that heart that's like flint. And really, that's not probably the best translation. The word in the original Hebrew there has to do with a hardened substance that's so hard that cannot be scratched. And the Hebrew definition would say, like a precious gem, a diamond. That's why in some translations you'll see that it says they had a diamond hard heart. The hardest gem, the hardest substance known of the minerals. And here he says, that's what's happened to your heart. Do you see what's happening here? God says, let me tell you what I want. I want people that deal justly with each other. I want people that show mercy to each other. I want people that show compassion to each other. I want people that treat their brothers and their sisters with brotherly and sisterly love. And you know what they said? We're not going to heed you. Now, what if your child, I want you to imagine that your teenager did this to you. You tell them what they want and they say, I'm not going to do it. And shrug their shoulders. That's exactly what they did to God. Can you imagine having a religion that says, God didn't ask us to have all of these fast days, but we're going to have these fast days because we want to be more righteous. But yet on the other hand, when God does ask us to do something, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. God must... What's God thinking? God thinks I'm going to be merciful? Hey... Listen, I work too hard for my money to give it away to widows and orphans. No way. I'm not taking my nice paneled houses and I'm not sharing it with any stranger or anybody in need. I shrug my shoulders at that. But I'll do these fast days and now let's bring it full circle. Now we see why God says, you're doing these fast days for me me. What's God said about Christmas and Easter? What if we read right now everything in the Bible God said about the holiday, Christmas and Easter? Let's read it. Let's read everything He said about it. We're done. Now, you think about all that's done in the name of religion. And people say, I do that for God. I do that for God. 
can you imagine God shaking his head, looking down and saying, you did that for me? You didn't do that for me. You did that for you. I never asked for it. Interpretive dance in worship. You talk to the dancers. Why do you do that? I do that for God. Can you imagine God looking down and saying, you did that for me? For me? I, I've never once asked for that. You didn't do that for me. You did that for you. Let's have, let's have instruments in, in worship. Let's sing with instruments in worship. And so you ask the guitarist, hey, why do you do that? I do that for God. New covenant. Church began in Acts 2. Nobody can take the new covenant and say, I do that for God. God would be saying, for me? I've, I've never asked you to do... You, you can't be doing that for me. I didn't ask for it. Dramas in worship. You ask the actor or actress, why do you do those dramas? Oh, I do it for God. No, God says, you don't do it for me. I never asked for it. You're doing that for you. You're not doing that for me. Why are you here this morning? God wants us to be here this morning to worship Him. And that's something that we know. And God will look at that and say, you did that for me because I've asked you. Friends, I beg you, think about it, study about it, meditate about it, but please get this simple but powerful point. If God hasn't spoken about it, you can't say you're doing it for God. It is a very dangerous thing whenever we start saying, oh, I I know what God would want. Oh, well, I just feel like God would want. No, let's be people that take the time to go back and study and ask God what He wants so that when we do it, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that was for God. But let's stop playing games with God. Because just like those Jews that created all of those fast days and it even gained momentum throughout the centuries, and God called them on it. And He said, let me tell you something. You're not doing that for me even though every month that rolls around, you've created another fast day. You're not doing it for me. God is not concerned with whether or not you look religious. God is concerned about whether or not we are dedicated to His Word. We're out of time for Malachi. Malachi came about a hundred years afterwards in his ministry. And his plea was, let's go back and let's glorify God again. This morning, I want to ask you about your heart 
Is it misplaced? Is it hardened? Is it empty? Those are the three lessons that we learn from the three prophets we studied this morning. It's easy to get things out of order. It's easy to get our heart hardened. So God speaks and we don't listen. And then even when God doesn't speak, we do things as if He has spoken. And it's easy to literally become so apathetic that we feel empty. We don't feel like there's really a reason to go on. God can fill us up. He can overflow our cup if we allow ourselves to be placed in His hands. Allow ourselves to be molded by Him. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ, why not this morning? If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you've lost the way, would you come back to Him this morning? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.